What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Passing Downs podcast. I'm your host, Potty, and I'm here with my co-host, PD. Say what's up. What's up? All right, and we're back for another week of our previews and reviews of quarterbacks. This week, I believe, is going to be our seventh episode now that we're going into week seven. So we're going to do a quick recap of um, the previous week and do uh, some foreshadowing of the next week. Why don't you get started off, PD? Yeah, first game up, we have Joe Burrow against the Saints. And this one was kind of a get-right game for the Bengals offense. Um, I alluded to it last week when I talked about the the variation of the routes with Jamar Chase. And this week, they kind of did a lot better, uh, moving Jamar Chase all over the field, uh, giving him different routes to run. Um, and I think that... I think that this week that the amount of man coverage that the Saints showed against Jamar Chase really allowed for Burrow to pick apart the defense. Um, there were a number of throws, specifically the first and second touchdowns that Jamar Chase scored. The first one, an incredibly good tight window throw on the money, tight window, um, where it was deep into the end zone, only 16 yards in the box score, but 20 yards, um, the defender was right in Jamar Chase's hip pocket and Burrow put the ball on the money for the score. And then the next one, uh, the second touchdown, uh, Burrow hits Jamar Chase on a curl route. Uh, Chase breaks a tackle, takes it all the way for a touchdown. Um, I also want to point out uh, Burrow's ability to break the pocket in this game. There were a number of plays where uh, he, he looked completely dead in, dead in the water. Like there was There was no chance that he would make a play. But somehow he escaped pressure, and there's one to Boyd. There's the scramble for the touchdown that he had. So both of those plays incredibly impressive to me. Um, probably not sustainable in the long run to keep relying on that type of play. But I, I do think that one thing that is sustainable is them showing more, more variety with their receivers. And also, uh, I think that them kind of abandoning this kind of under-centered thing that we, they were doing for the first few weeks and just becoming a pure shotgun team uh, for basically the entire game. Like like almost all of the snaps that Burrow took were in shotgun. And so I think that if they can just do something like that to find an identity, I think that'll serve them well moving forward. Yeah, and Burrow putting up that performance up against the Saints, a great matchup between two teams from different conferences. And looking into another matchup between interconference opponents going into the Vikings and Dolphins game. Uh, looking at Kirk Cousins in this one, he didn't quite light up the stat sheet, in my opinion. It was 20 for 30, 175 yards, and two touchdowns. And, I mean, this is kind of expected with Kirk Cousins at this point. It's a random third, uh, 10 a.m. game on a Sunday that no one's watching, and this is where Cousins thrives. But looking at his stats, you wouldn't think much of it, but looking into the film, I think... He wasn't quite as good as the stats make it seem. The game started off rough for sure. The Vikings started backed up in their own territory and the Dolphins came out bringing heat immediately. And we all know they normally love to uh, to blitz, but with no real offensive threat on the team right now with uh, Tua out and Teddy B out to start the game, I think they were a lot more aggressive early on and it showed on the very first third down of the game. Kirk nearly got sacked for a safety. I think he was lucky to even get the ball out of the end zone because 
uh, he had Dalvin on a check down, but he didn't quite hit it, hit him or find him. He just kind of threw it away. Uh, the very next drive, early in the second quarter, they were three in and out. They were three and out, and on a third and seven, Cousins delivered a slant pass on the money to number seventeen for what should have been a first down, but the receiver gets hit and ultimately drops it. So that was a play where Kirk did do his job, but ultimately the receiver sold. Uh, later on in that same quarter, with six about six minutes left, the Vikings offense had like fifteen yards total. So the offense didn't really come to play at first at all, but Kirk quickly changes things here with the back-to-back strikes to Thielen and then another beautiful throw to Jefferson over the uh, over the middle in a tight window as there was a zone underneath Jefferson over him and to the left of him, and Cousins puts it right on the money to him. Uh, later on in the drive, another third and six at the Dolphins' 25, the Dolphins ended up sending a lot of pressure and left Jefferson completely open. Like, I paused the screen when Jefferson caught the ball, and there wasn't a single Dolphin on the whole screen. He was wide open and nearly set up a touchdown. Eventually, a play-action pass to Irv Irv Smith scored the touchdown, and that got the offense going a little bit before half, and then they get the ball before half again, but then on a third and four, Cousins goes under pressure and just delivers a weak ball to his open receiver, and it's underthrown and ultimately dropped. I think this was a big missed opportunity for Cousins here because they could have probably got a field goal and got, gone up a touchdown before half going into this one, but ultimately ended up being only four points a half. And the Dolphins do throw a pick right after, and the uh, Vikings get their field goal anyways, but it was not because of Cousins. Uh, start of the second half, they started off with some bad play calling and a good Dolphins defense that led to a quick three and out despite good field position. And I felt like this was a common theme for the Vikings in this one. They'd consistently get good field position and just squander it with a couple bad play calls here and there, a Kirk incompletion, and that's kind of the only reason this game was even close. And then with six minutes left later in the third quarter, he probably makes one of his bet- uh, worst plays of the games. On a third and 10, he has a wide open Justin Jefferson on the right hash in between two zones. And more importantly, he has his check down wide open underneath. But he shows no pocket awareness and kind of just takes a bad sack when he could have stepped up in the pocket and made a play. And it's a combination of plays like this and bad coaching as to why the Vikings did pretty much nothing in the third quarter. But... Kirk ended the quarter with a good touch pass to Jefferson on a wheel route for a big gain. He followed it up with a tight window touchdown pass to Thielen from the five-yard line, and that put them on pretty big at that point in the game. And first drive of the fourth quarter, Cousins has an easy throw to Thielen for a third and one on a quick out, quick out route, and he was rolling to that side too. And he just sails the throw, throws it high and weak, and it allows the defender to come in and make the tackle before Thielen can even turn. And again, this is just another very bad play from Cousins because that was a pretty critical drive that he kind of killed with just an errant throw out of nowhere. Uh, Eventually, that game gets iced with a 53-yard touchdown from Dalvin Cook, an amazing run. But overall, for Kirk Cousins, it was a very up-and-down performance, but overall just pretty mid, in my opinion. A better offense, I think, takes advantage of this game a lot better than the Vikings did. 
because the Dolphins were absolutely awful offensively. But the Vikings just simply couldn't take advantage for one reason or another, and I think a lot of those drives did have to do with Kirk Cousins. And it worries me a little bit about the Vikings because I do think they have a good roster and a great chance in the NFC this year. But if Kirk Cousins shows up like this and has a very up-and-down performance, I can't really rely on the Vikings this year. Yeah, this wasn't wasn't really the greatest from Kirk Cousins uh, in terms of actual uh, play in general. I think that moving forward, though, there's a couple things that I want to take away from this game. So I think that uh, him kind of moving in the pocket and kind of uh, working backside was a little bit better this game than it has been in years past, and that's a big step uh, towards maximizing this offense. And then the other thing that I wanted to take away is that continues to, like, uh, not take like horrible plays and in the past he's kind of gotten criticized for turning bad plays into disasters but I I don't think that uh, that's really showing up as much anymore at this point in Cousins career Um, moving on to our next game which is Colts and Jags uh, starting off with Trevor Lawrence here Uh, Lawrence goes 20 for 22 and he is under 200 passing yards which is pretty interesting uh, to look at this game was not an enjoyable watch it was just screen after screen it's not even screens that were on the money and allowed his receiver to run after the catch it was just uh, uh, not not the greatest game from an accuracy perspective let's say uh Lawrence uh doesn't really push the ball down the field very much in this game um the Jags stick to running the ball and yeah I wasn't particularly impressed with Lawrence this game didn't do anything much to improve or make worse my my the way that I view him which is as a quarterback with some potential, but hasn't really actualized that potential yet. Uh, the Jags kind of stuck to running the ball. They got a massive breakaway run from Jermichael Hasty. Um, Travis Etienne was carving up the Colts for pretty much the whole game. Um, yeah, and, you know, Lawrence just kind of did the in-between stuff, did the little things, and, again... Like I said, uh, 20 for 22 is definitely overstating his accuracy from the game, and I wasn't particularly impressed with this game. Yeah, it seems to be the thoughts on Lawrence for a couple of weeks now. After a pretty like rocky start and then a hot couple of games, he seemed to have leveled out, so to say. Which, I was hoping he stayed on that hot streak. I was excited to see him develop, but I guess we may not see that Lawrence consistently, or maybe... A little bit more time, and we get to see that Trevor Lawrence. But very interesting to see how he finished this season. But looking at his opponent in this game, uh, Marine, who had a very rocky start to the season, I gotta say, and even the Colts' offense, very rocky start, and they both came alive this game against a talented young Jaguars team who's who have strung a couple of good defensive performances together these last couple of weeks and the Colts showed out despite it and without Jonathan Taylor an offensive player of the year candidate last year and he was he had a monster statistical performance he was 42 for 58 389 yards and three touchdowns no picks I think the film impressed me even more you know out the gate he was sent a lot of pressure by the Jags because I believe that's what he struggled with a lot this year just being able to maneuver in the pocket with his limited mobility and just making quick decisions. Because at this point, 
he's very immobile and he was taking a lot of bad sacks instead of just getting rid of the ball. And I saw that switch a lot in this game. This game, he came out firing the ball to his checkdowns and hot routes, and he didn't let the pressure reach him and force him into bad mistakes. Uh, he continued to do this throughout the first quarter, and the Jaguars just kept testing him more and more, sending him a lot of pressure, and they just let their corner sit in man, and Ryan was able to just find his open man and just pick that man defense apart. Uh, the Jaguars would go into a more conservative defense in the red zone though they kind of sat back in a cover three or four and rushed only three and let ryan beat them in the red zone which is why they the colts didn't score a whole lot of touchdowns early in this game but with about 10 minutes in the second quarter i was really impressed by a throw where ryan was literally getting hit by a defensive lineman who had a free rush and he still managed to find Pittman 10 yards in the middle of the field and put him in a good position for yards after the catch and Pittman made a great play of, out of that and he had a lot of quick throws to Deion Jackson whether it was designed or not designed just overall he was able to combat the blitz as we've seen him do in years past with his quick decision making and we hadn't seen it a lot this year and I was exciting to see it excited to see it this year and they got the ball real quick before the half and just before uh, the field goal before the half, I'd say he had one of his worst plays of the day where he was under pressure and off his back foot. He kind of just threw a weak pass over the middle into triple coverage, and the ball only really fell because the defenders all ran into each other. But Ryan really can't make plays like this at this point in his career where his big playability is very limited, so he can't afford to make these mistakes that are potentially game-changing when he can't make plays on the other end to make up for those types of mistakes. He's one of those quarterbacks who's got to get more into the, I guess you could say, game manager role. And in the third quarter, we have we saw a lot more of the same from Ryan. He seemed to sit back now when the Jaguars were in deep zones. I think it was maybe to preserve their lead at the time, but I think they sat back a little too much, and Ryan was just able to deliver the ball an open receiver underneath and they got plenty of yards after the catch and fourth quarter he delivered a beautiful back shoulder throw to touchdown pass to woods who most likely pushed off it looked like but they didn't call it so it is what it is uh and the best drive of his day was by far his last drive down one point ryan delivered on multiple occasions one was a big slam pass to Pittman on a third down but by far his best play of the day was a third on third and 13 with about 23 seconds left. Ryan was hit as he throws and he still delivered a beautiful ball on a go route to Alec Pierce who had maybe like one yard of space on that route. And he put it right in the bread basket and allowed Pierce to run in for a touchdown and win that game. Very clutch throw. But overall, uh, we saw a lot from Ryan in this game that we hadn't seen earlier in the year. His accuracy was on point. He, aside from that one mistake before the first half ended, uh, he had very few mistakes overall, even minor ones. Uh, his pocket presence showed a lot more in this game, even though the Jags got very creative with sending him blitzes and sending him a lot of heat. And he just got used to taking what the defense gave him, and that improved the Colts' offense a lot in this one. Yep, and, uh... Go ahead, so, go ahead. You go for it, go for it. 
Oh, I was just gonna move on. If you have a comment on Ryan, go ahead. Um, yeah. So for for Ryan, this is the first time he's looked actually very good in a game this week. Um, and I think that there there were signs of this um, in games past, but he just couldn't avoid the turnover bug, and he's just like making bad decisions, bad decisions the whole time. And I think that it's similar to what I saw from Matt Ryan in 2021, where there's a there's a massive amount of inconsistency, but it looks like that will continue, but maybe with the higher frequency of the bad games. So maybe that's something to watch for looking forward. Yeah, earlier on in the season, Matt Ryan was it was very weird to see him play. There were a couple of times watching Colts film, I mistook him for Carson Wentz the way he was playing. Like that was not the Matt Ryan we knew from previous years, and I was excited to see him come back. And this is what the Colts really expected when they traded from this off season. And uh. It'll be interesting to see which version of Ryan we get the rest of the year. Yep. But moving on from one quarterback who seemed to be redeeming himself this weekend to another one who quite a bit redeemed himself this weekend, in my opinion. And it's Jimmy G, who I sadly watched as the Niners lost in a crushing defeat to the Falcons. Uh, couldn't believe what I was watching, but when you have as many injuries as the Niners did, it is a tough one, and I think as a result of all those injuries and missing pieces, Jimmy G got a little bit of a taste of his own medicine in this game. Uh, typically, the Niners supporting cast carries Jimmy. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt about that, but this game, I think the roles were reversed a bit. Uh, statistically, he was 29 for 41, 296 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. You know, these are typical Jimmy G stats in a high volume game but I think the stats don't quite do him justice in this one uh he did have a very pedestrian first quarter in my opinion he made a couple of easy passes like screen passes and quick outs but the Niners run game as a whole was getting shut down in this first quarter so the offense didn't do much he didn't have a really a lot of opportunity but he also wasn't making the you know the extra plays to get us more yardage when there wasn't a whole lot going on in that offense. Uh, and there are seven points given up due to a fumble as well in that first quarter. Overall, the Niners didn't have the whole ball. Didn't have the ball a whole lot in that quarter. The Falcons dominated the time of possession. But he started off getting hot in the second quarter where he led a great drive with a dime on a curl route Tayuk. And he had a great awareness on a kind of a scramble or try to evade pressure where it looked like he got sacked. Typically, you'd see Jimmy G get sacked in that situation, but he makes a little flip to Kittle, who ends up running for a first down. I was very happy to see that out of Jimmy G, because that's normally not in his bag at all. And that eventually leads to a uh, Ayuk touchdown pass on a screen. Later in the same quarter, uh, the Niners get the ball in Falcons territory, and he throws an absolute dime on an out-route Tayuk with good leverage, and he leads him upfield. Eventually, that becomes a touchdown as well for Ayuk. Uh, the end of the half was where we saw his first mistake, so to say, where he just heaves the ball up to Debo in triple coverage for easy pick. There was only like four seconds in the half at that point, and it was a last play, last-ditch attempt type of situation. So I will give him a little slack. But I do think with the time we had, we could have maybe pushed for a field goal, and he kind of just arm punted the ball for no reason, but you know, there's a little bit of context to that interception. 
uh, early in the third, I did think there were a couple of times where he waited a bit too long in the pocket. And before making a decision, the pressure came and it forced him to check the ball down, not get enough yards we needed. And that killed a couple of drives. But in the fourth quarter, he kind of, and in the fourth quarter, he makes another big mistake, like what we saw at the end of the half, where he just throws the ball high and into coverage, which causes a tip and eventually lands up in the Falcons' hands. And the best way to characterize this interception was just, it was a classic Jimmy G heartbreaking interception where we were down 14. We had a little bit of the offense going and Jimmy G throws a pick to kill the, kill the game essentially. And the last drive, once again, he simply does not make a right read with about two and a half minutes left in the game. It was a fourth and one and it looked like he had Ayuk wide open and he had a check down to the running back wide open and yet he tries to get the ball to Debo for some reason in double coverage in a very tight window and doesn't quite get it there, and that ultimately ends the game. But I must mention there are a few plays that were probably his best plays of the day that won't really go in the film or the stat sheet. He had two big-time drops on huge plays to Ray Ray McLeod and another one to a backup tight end, which were both big uh, 20 plus yard plays, which he put on the money and just were dropped for no reason. And I'd say his best throw of the day was on a cross field 30 line, 30 yard sideline shot in between two zones to Ayuk, and it got called back because of an illegal man downfield. But it was a couple of those plays that made his performance pretty impressive for Jimmy G's standards, of course. It was a very up-and-down Jimmy G-esque game, as usual, but there was a lot more ups than there was downs in this one. And I do think the offense just let him down in this situation with Trent out. The Niners haven't had the best blocking, and he did a lot with what he had, for sure. Yeah, agreed with what you said about uh, Jimmy G there. Um, that that post route that Rory McLeod dropped was pretty crucial, and I, I don't absolutely awful for the Niners too. Yeah, I, I haven't seen Jimmy G make many throws on that level uh, in a while. Um, moving on from one NFC West quarterback to another with Matthew Stafford. Uh, Matthew Stafford, for the first time this year, played a really good game. Uh, it started off pretty slow. Uh, in the first half, he only attempted one pass over ten yards, and that was one to Allen Robinson. Um, that was outside the outside the hashes, but inside the numbers to the left. Um, and yeah, it was just a very slow start. He took a sack that I thought was his fault um, with an intentional grounding penalty and a lot of short passes again because they don't really trust the, the line up front, which has been pretty awful this year. But in the second half, I, I really we really saw 2021 Matthew Stafford come out uh, in, in the second half. Uh, he, was, he was pretty amazing. Um, a, a few screens... Uh, here and there uh, to continue to keep that kind of pressure on the outside corners to come up and tackle. But there was a lot of great intermediate passes from Matthew Stafford. 19-yard uh, gains, 15-yard gains, 20-yard gains, 22-yard gains. Um, and then he throws another great fade ball to Allen Robinson, who makes a great catch. Um, and, yeah, just a, a much better profile of aggression for uh, Matthew Stafford. And, um yeah, I, I really look forward to seeing him in in, in this type of mode where uh, the Rams actually let him push the ball down the field a little bit more with 
uh, much better pass protection. Uh, I think that the the fact that the Rams' offensive line has been so awful so far has been really limiting to Stafford, who I think projects to be kind of average moving forward rather than how poorly he has played in these first uh, six games. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's about it for Matthew Stafford. I think that there's there's a chance for recovery here. Any thoughts that you want to add for Stafford? Yeah, I will say I feel like we saw one version of Matthew Stafford pretty much his whole career leading up to last year and a lot of last season as well. But then we saw that hot Matthew Stafford in the playoffs and for that Super Bowl run that everyone fell in love with and made him look in the public view a little bit higher than he should be. I think this season, especially this game, he has had some lows, but games like this is more of what we're used to at Stafford. Even though he did look a bit better than maybe the average Stafford game, I do think he's regressed back to his normal this season. And I expect to see a lot more of this version of Stafford than what we saw in his elite games last season that ended up winning the Rams a championship. Yeah. Moving on from one big arm quarterback to another, we have Josh Allen this weekend. Oh my goodness, Josh Allen was incredible against the Chiefs. Josh Allen was making play after play after play on the ground through the air. It did not matter uh, against this Chiefs Chiefs defense. Uh, we started off the game to with a wide open throw to uh, Gabriel Davis. Uh, nothing too impressive here, but a, a great ball that was on the money. But then uh, his first really, really impressive throw of the game uh, where... He, he hits Diggs uh, outside the numbers to the left, 20-plus uh, yards down the field. Uh, Diggs is open, but the ball is in a good spot, and uh, that's the first explosive play of the game for Josh Allen. That's over 30 yards. Uh, then we move on to the second quarter, and there was a there was a whole drive for Josh Allen where it was just impressive plays uh, all around, play after play after play. Uh, we start with first throw where he kind of bails a little bit early to his right, but fires the ball over the middle to Corey, or not Corey Davis, uh, to Gabriel Davis. It's a little low, but it's in a catchable spot, and it uh, digs them out of a hole where they're at their own two, or their one or their two. Um, and then he throws another one, uh, a very tight window throw to Diggs. Uh, this is a cover two hole shot uh, to Diggs down the sideline. This is a really impressive throw. Um, it's accuracy, it's anticipation, it's it's arm strength, most impressively, uh, on this throw. And what... It's kind of it's kind of overblown, I think, when they say only a few guys can make this throw, but this is one of those throws where only a guy like Josh Allen can make that throw. And then we finish off the drive with another tight window throw down the sideline to Corey Davis, and that gets them the touchdown. So a really impressive drive there. But we're not done with Josh Allen because he makes more and more uh, plays. He throws another whole shot. Throws another whole shot to Dawson Knox uh, down the sideline on his first pass uh, of the second half. Then he throws another one to Stefan Diggs into a tight window. Um, and then after that, um, he makes a really, really impressive throw uh, to Stefan Diggs again. Uh, he, he's open this time, but it's 19, plus, 19 yards down the field. And then we finish it off with a really, really impressive run where he hurdles a defender uh, to get them into, I guess it would be close field goal range. And then the game-winning touchdown, which is, a dime of all dimes uh, to Dawson Knox in the end zone, uh, 20 yards past the line of scrimmage in a very tight window, and it's on the money for for the game winner. So 
Josh Allen was basically, well, I don't want to say flawless, but no catastrophic mistakes and an incredible number of explosive plays that he generated this game. I was thoroughly impressed. This game puts him in the lead for MVP. And I think we need to honestly start having some discussions about Josh Allen because I think that the the Miami game is looking more and more like an outlier um, as we go on in this season. And so if we kind of remove that, we're, we're really looking at one of the greatest seasons of all time for Josh Allen. And I think it projects forward to kind of look like that for Josh Allen. I think that it's very possible that this Bills team, we're looking at one of the greatest teams of all time, and Josh Allen has one of the greatest quarterback seasons of all time. If yeah, you have any this, thoughts, Tad, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I was going to say, this matchup between Allen and Mahomes has become an absolute classic. A couple of years in a row now, we just get amazing games between this matchup between the two. I think I saw in like foot, my, Football Night in America, they were talking about how this is going to be our generations or the next decade's version of Patriots Colts with Brady and Manning and I do think that'll be the case. And about Allen, I agree. He was absolutely flawless once again. Uh, I think he really showed in that one. Ironically, it was against Mahomes, but I do think after that performance, I might give him the slight edge to to him over Mahomes. But watching that game, I do think both are my unquestioned top two at this point and are definitely a hero of their own, in my opinion. I don't know what you think. Uh, I don't like doing definitive things in quarterback rankings. Um, let's let's move on to uh, the final review from my end of the week uh, with Jalen Hurts. Uh, Jalen Hurts with a decent game here. Uh, I think he could have played better, but it's it's a pretty vaunted pass rush that he was going against, especially with Lane, Lane Johnson's injury, and that kind of kind of made it much more simple for Mike Parsons to uh, make play after play. Uh, he took a bad sack in the first quarter and missed a throw, which I thought he really should have made. He overshot A.J. Brown by, like, 10 yards, something like that, along the left. But we do see a turn for the better uh, starting the second quarter. He looks quite good um, in my in my grading. Um, uh, it's, just, it's just a bunch of RPOs, screens, short passes uh, after a certain point because they knew that Mike Parsons could not be blocked, so they started uh, turning him into – the defender of the RPO, they started optioning him, uh, per se. And you know, Michael Parsons was just having a little bit of trouble with that. It's just, if you if he picks one way, they go the other way. That's just how it, how it worked for the Eagles offense. And yeah, th- this game, uh, they didn't really have a drop-back passing game because I don't think Jalen Hurts is uh, quite at that level where he can just beat an elite defense with just the drop-back passing game. But I think that his execution of concepts that, um, are a little bit more reasonable against that type of defense with the RPOs, with the rollouts, with the screen passes. I think that was enough. Uh, it was an okay game. It wasn't anything special. And I think that Jalen Hurts moving forward, um, it, it should be interesting to see how he kind of develops to beat these kind of defenses. Because I don't think he's quite there yet as a truly elite passer uh, against the best defenses in uh, situations where he has to be a true dropback guy. So that's one storyline to watch moving forward. Yeah, for sure. I think in a whole broader team perspective, I feel like this game kind of exposed a little bit of a, I guess you could say a chink in the armor for the Eagles. Because it looks like they don't have a whole lot of depth on that team, which 
I guess goes to show what happens when you spend a lot of money and assets in a certain players is when a couple of injuries go down, you are kind of left with kind of the bottom of the barrel in your depth chart. So it was interesting to see because the Eagles have looked like the best team in football by far and don't really have any holes on that roster from top to bottom. But this could be something that could affect them going forward in this season. And as far as Hurts, I completely agree where he's looked amazing against these great teams or great defenses, I should say, where he's kind of forced into he needs to sit in the pocket and make plays rather than all those quick throws and a lot of RPOs. If he's put in that situation, he may not be elite enough to get the job done. However, we've seen Jalen Hurts improve in pretty much every aspect of his game, including this one. So I wouldn't be shocked if next time we see him come out in this sort of situation, we see a lot better version of him. I mean, and- like, think think about, like, how much it takes from the Cowboys. It takes a secondary that's playing really well. It takes uh, yeah. a young pass rusher that's one of the best young pass rushers that we've ever seen, quite honestly. It takes uh, extra talent along that defensive line. So you need you need a lot on defense to slow down Jalen Hurts and this Eagles offense. So I don't I don't think it's too much of a big deal, but it's it's a point to watch moving forward it's, because yeah, teams... it's definitely something to look at. Yeah, and you mentioned all that. On top of that, he had a lot of his offensive line injured as well, including Lane Johnson, who was over Parsons to start and was doing a good job as well when they were blowing out the Cowboys. So, yeah, a lot to stop this Eagles offense, but we did see it for the first time for about a half in this game. And moving on from that divisional matchup to another one on primetime in Monday Night Football, I'll I'll be talking about the lesser of the quarterbacks in this matchup in Russell Wilson, who had another game where if you looked at just statistically, it was 15 for 28, 188 yards, one touchdown. And it doesn't look the best, but it doesn't look terrible. But you'd be surprised if I told you that after the first half, where he started off lights out, he ended the game 3 for 11 and only threw 15 yards the entire second half and overtime. So absolutely a very poor finish from... Uh, Russell Wilson here and getting into the game he started off solid as I said first drive on an early second and two I saw him roll out of the pocket and throw a dime on the sideline to 87 it was a vintage Russ type of play here where uh, we saw him make something happen outside the offense which as we talked about multiple times on this podcast we haven't really seen much of Russ this season at all and it was interesting to see that early in the game. Uh, uh, but he ended this drive with a pretty horrible play on a third and two with about eight minutes left in the first. He had a man wide and, I mean, absolutely wide open right in the middle of the field in between the hashes looking back at him on, I guess, a comeback type of route. And he kind of just stood there and took a sack from Khalil Mack. And I'd say there was about a second of time where he was looking downfield and He was wide open. Maybe it was the height of the lineman that blocked his view there, but that's definitely something, or that's definitely a play where he's got to make something of, and he can't be just taking the sack there. Uh, Following up on the next drive, it was a third and 13, and we saw another play where we saw vintage Russ, and this might be 
my favorite play of the game from him, uh, where he evaded a sack from Khalil Mack, ran away from another diving defensive lineman, and found Judy on a comeback. And he put it on the money enough where Judy had a chance to turn around and get a huge game. And that was probably one of the Broncos' best offensive plays of the day, as well as probably his best throw of the day, in my opinion. And he finished this throw by stepping up in the pocket and going away from pressure and finding a wide-open Dolchich downfield for a big touchdown play. And this rust that started off this game and had this drive looked like the rust that the Broncos paid so much for and traded for. This is the rust that we expected that played in that first quarter. And I'm not sure what happened to him because second quarter immediately is where things started to go downhill. Uh, the Chargers did have the ball a lot this quarter, but on the driver two that Russ did have, they got absolutely nothing going. He wasn't able to find anything downfield, and when he looked, and he didn't hit his receivers open underneath who he did have, and he either just didn't see them or just didn't get them the ball all of that quarter. And it allowed the Chargers to get back in that game. Uh, he did end the first half with a huge gain to Hinton on a go-route where Hinton absolutely destroyed J.C. Jackson, who has been playing pretty awful this year, but that's a conversation for another time. Uh, However, even though that ball was completed, it was pretty poorly placed. Hinton had his guy beat for like 10 yards, and it was probably an easy touchdown if the ball was on the money. But he had to stop and come back to the ball because Russ just didn't get enough into that ball. for, And it seems like it was because... There was a defensive lineman right in front of him jumping and his own O-lineman getting pushed back into him. And he didn't get quite a full step into that ball. But that's definitely a situation where he's got to show more pocket awareness. Just maybe take a step back, step forward. Just get a full throw because he had all the time in the world as well as a wide open receiver for a touchdown. And that could have blown the game open. And a quarterback like Russell Wilson just needs to make that play. And that makes a touchdown become a field goal in in a game like that extremely important. And that was where the roughness started because the second half was even worse. Uh, In about the middle of the third quarter on a third and nine, the Chargers sent a pressure, which was only about five people, but pressure nonetheless. And instead of Russ scanning the field, he kind of just turns around. I wish I was joking, but he did just turn around and ran straight towards Khalil Mack and eventually got wrapped down by Derwin James. Not sure what he was doing here. And then early in the fourth, he does have a couple of good rushes, and he used his legs a little bit in this game, unlike he has in the past this season. So that's interesting to see. But still in Chargers territory, once again, he was unable to get any points after a couple of incompletions. Uh, Middle of the fourth quarter on a third and six. He kind of just rolled out for no reason to the right, and in a relatively good pocket, he just runs straight into a sack, and that kills the drive once again in a very tight game. And in his last real drive of regulation, there was one final one where they kind of had to mess around, but in the last real drive, it wasn't really his fault that the drive ended. I saw Tranquil, I believe, have one of the fastest sacks I've ever seen in my time watching the NFL and Russ just snaps the ball and immediately immediately gets sacked. Uh one of the rare cases where it wasn't his fault. And over time the choke was absolutely unreal from Wilson. 
because on the very first drive, he had a third and one, and it looks like he has a wide open Cybert over the middle of the field, standing there looking at him with yards and yards of space. And he still chooses to throw it to Hinton in coverage, and he still underthrows it where Hinton might have had maybe an inch of separation, and maybe he could have gotten it to him despite it being the wrong read. And he still underthrows it eventually that gives the ball back to the Chargers who go on to win the game and Russ never gets the ball back. And this game, honestly, with all the shocking games we've seen from Russell Wilson, this is somehow the most shocking because he came out this game firing, especially that fourth first quarter. There are a couple of throws I looked at and I was just amazed that this was the same guy I saw play absolutely horrible against the Colts. And then that Russell Wilson came back. So I'm not exactly sure what's going on with him, but very weird up and down game from him, but a lot more down than there was up. Yeah, uh, I wanted to touch on one point that you made there with the sack um, where he got sacked really quickly. So uh, he, so he, the the offensive line, um, the Chargers are bringing seven. Uh, the, the offensive line, they have their five protectors as normal and they have the running back, so they have six. So the Chargers have one free defender no matter what. And before the snap, it doesn't look like Russ does anything communication-wise to uh, tell them to slide left, slide right. Um, And I think that you can expect the offensive linemen to just be higher IQ if they notice someone coming free uh, completely untouched in the A-gap. But I do think there's some culpability with Russ uh, on that sack where – there's just a total lack of communication. I don't know if he expected there to be some sort of slide uh, from from the line, but I don't think uh, Cushion Berry is like experienced enough to be able to call that out yet. So I think that one a little bit falls up falls on Russ. And then the other thing that I wanted to say uh, with Russ is that the first half was actually pretty incredible to me, um, where he was making so many downfield plays that it's almost impossible to be bad enough to bring you bring that game overall to be a bad impact game so um this one finishes as like a a decent game uh in my grading because of how many downfield plays that he made in the first half um yeah i think that's all that i have to say about russ yeah overall just very weird game from russ i don't know what to expect out of him moving forward after this one but ultimately That being the Monday night game, that wraps up our reviews of the previous week. And we'll jump straight into the previews of next week, which is, I believe, week seven. Can't believe we're this late into the season already, about to be halfway in. But we'll start off with a couple of previews from PD. Yeah, uh, starting off this one with Thursday Night Football, uh, Kyler Murray for this one. So Kyler Murray uh, against the Seahawks. A couple of explosive plays down the field, but uh, six sacks, a couple of them that I uh, I gave uh, the blame to him. Uh, and just, like, the deep ball isn't really there right now. I don't know what's happened to him, but this is a guy who I think was in definitely in the conversation for one of the best deep ball throwers uh, in, in the NFL. Uh, I think that uh, the lack of the lack of separation from his receivers, I guess it w- I would say, um, with AJ Green just totally not being there anymore, 
um, just just being absolutely <laughs> atrocious, really. Uh, yeah, Zach Ertz regressing, and uh, now Hollywood Brown is injured. Um, they are getting DeAndre Hopkins back, so that 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 is quite helpful. But I think that it's difficult for me to say that uh, Kyler can be adding huge value if his deep ball isn't there. So uh, overall, this season, I think he's just been kind of whatever um, to me, uh, and so. I'm hopeful that against the Saints, who play more of an aggressive style with uh, less of these cover two and flooding the field with zone defenders type of looks, they like to play man a little bit more. And so I, I, I'm hopeful that Kyler is able to take advantage of the opportunities that the Saints will afford him, like Joe Burrow did with Jamar Chase. And so uh, we'll see what happens there on, on Thursday night. But I think there's potential for that to be a get-right spot for Kyler. Um, moving on from that Thursday night game, though, we have Tom Brady, uh, and Tom Brady coming off quite a poor game, uh, against the Steelers where he was just uncharacteristically missing throws. Now, there were some explosive plays in there, uh, a couple of really nicely thrown, uh, passes down the seam. Um, and so that kind of rescued his value for the day, but just, just, he's just a player that, uh, I think, I think he doesn't want to get hit anymore the same way. And I think that that's, that's a <laughs> bit of a concern. Yeah. I don't blame him either. Um, it's a bit of a concern uh, when you're trying to play quarterback at the highest level where Brady just doesn't want to eat the hit and take the deep shot down the field. And so I think that's, that's something that is kind of going to put a cap on the Bucks offense uh, this year. If he continues to do that uh, this week is a get right spot, obviously against the Panthers, the Panthers are atrocious, but um, I, I just want to see a higher level of accuracy and aggression from Brady, and that's probably a tough ask for him because he's 45 years old at this point. Yeah, and it's crazy that despite his, I guess, slight unwillingness to do what he would have done maybe even a couple of years earlier, he's still playing at an elite, probably top 10 level. So very still crazy that Brady's doing what he's doing at his age, but yeah. The Bucks may have a bit of an offensive cap if this is the way that Brady's playing. And moving on from one older quarterback to another, uh, Aaron Rodgers last week, very disappointing loss to the young and upcoming Jets. Uh, despite, I guess, the Jets looking like the better team this year, I think deep down a lot of people expected to Packers to just pull it together and find a way to win this one against a young and experienced Jets team, but they absolutely were not able to do that. And a lot of that, in my opinion, was not Rodgers' fault for sure. Uh, he did have, uh, he does need to push the ball downfield a not a lot more. I think me and P- or PD talked about this earlier in a previous episode, but for whatever reason after Devontae Adams left, which I guess is big reason in itself, but he's absolutely gone to the deep ball, like not at all, from something that was pretty, a big part of his game just a few years before. And this game, I think I saw it a lot. He did have a couple of moments where he did try to push the ball, like he had a completion to Lazard towards the end of the first and tight coverage where Lazard got almost no space. He still got it to him. There was a fourth and three that was failed. That was a deep throw to Dobbs. And I think he didn't really run as fast as he needed to. And Rodgers did put it on the money. And Dobbs let it slip through his hands. 
as well as a touchdown pass, which is probably in the third quarter to Lazard. That was another impressive deep play. I think he does have a good connection deep with Lazard. I think he needs to explore that a bit more to make this uh, offense a little bit more efficient. But this week, looking into this week, they're playing the Commanders, who have not looked that impressive defensively, especially in the secondary. And I think this is a perfect game for Rodgers to, just like PD mentioned with Kyler, get right, so to speak, and get in a better rhythm with his young receivers, who he's going to have to deal with this year. Whether he, I don't know if he likes it or not, but this is what he's got to deal with, and hopefully he can get, get it together this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm not liking what I'm seeing from the Packers offense. It's just, it looks Rough. looks it looks too simple on one hand, but yeah. when they when they try to manufacture deep shots, it just looks too complicated because their receivers can't really separate. Their offensive line is injured, and they're not really holding up on the interior, and Rodgers is not being as aggressive because he doesn't trust guys to catch the ball and make plays. So it's just not good. Yeah. It's just not consistent right now. Yeah, certainly. Like, I don't think Rodgers is per se holding them back. I think he definitely needs more help. There were a lot of weird things that happened this game. Like, they missed a field goal in the first, I believe. Uh, A.J. Dillon fumbled pretty badly. Uh, It looked like he was on the run pretty much all game in the film because he got absolutely no blocking. Uh, They had a punt blocked. And just overall, his receivers weren't getting separation, as we mentioned. So... I think the Packers need a huge overall on that offense, and Rodgers is probably the least of their concern. So, uh, talking about Lamar Jackson this game, um, he he was pretty strong in the first half against the Giants. Um, I, I really liked what he did. He pushed the ball down the field to Duvernay, to Andrews. Um, there was really not much that the Giants were doing to stop the explosive plays that he was, he was making, but uh, the problem is that uh, Lamar was just kind of missing throws in this game. And so I, I think that's been an issue in the past for Lamar, where his accuracy is not really on the same level of the other elite quarterbacks, and he d- gets it done with, with different types of plays. Um, but I think that one big thing that I want to touch, do- touch on with Lamar uh, from the game against the Giants was where the, the blitz bothered him again this game, and pressure was a tricky situation for him to handle. And, and, it's, and it's obviously a twofold issue where – the Ravens don't really have good answers against blitzes because any hot routes that you have, uh, the receiver does have to get separation, and it's tricky for the Ravens to get separation against man. But also, I think that Lamar could do better to improve his decision-making where he doesn't have to turn bad situations into disasters. Uh, we see one play of that where um, there was a bad snap uh, towards the end of the game. Lamar picks it up, rolls right. He's like 20 yards deep uh, past the line of scrimmage, um, or behind the line of scrimmage, rather. And he throws back across his body right into a Giants defender, and that sets up a Giants touchdown for them to eventually win the game. And another play under pressure where he kind of fumbles uh, while handling the ball with one hand in the pocket, just a careless play by Lamar. And so I just want to see him kind of have better decision-making and ball control uh, under pressure. Uh, This game against the Browns, I think, um, is probably a get-right spot. The Browns haven't been good at defending pretty much anything uh, this year. And so... I think that the Ravens should be able to run the ball. They should be able to throw the ball. Um, it just comes down to can Lamar be consistent enough uh, towards the end of the game to not let the Browns back in the game uh, with his accuracy, um, with with his with his rushes to pick up first downs. Yeah, about Lamar, I think this has been a couple of weeks now where we're saying that 
he hasn't been able to handle the blitz as well as he was earlier in the year. And I think this might just be the reality with Lamar now because he struggled with that in the past. He struggled with that this year, obviously, these last few weeks. I think those few weeks where he looked like an elite, elite passer that could deal with anything was maybe a couple-week flash in the pan at this point. I hope Lamar proves me wrong, but... He's looked a lot like old Lamar in some of these games, handling pressure at least. Yeah. Uh, moving on from one quarterback who looks kind of bad under pressure to one who looks horrible, uh, Zach Wilson. <laughs> so Zach Wilson against the Packers was pretty awful. Um, it, he's he's very lucky that the Packers weren't able to capitalize on the mistakes that he made because in 18 passes, he threw three passes into the leverage of defenders for the Packers. And, he also managed to take a couple bad sacks. Um, it was it was just not a good day. Uh, he had a couple of nice throws on slants and ins, that type of thing, uh, where it was 8 to 10 yards past the line of scrimmage, and he made one play where he rolled right and found Corey Davis on a deep shot. It was kind of underthrown, but I, I do think that that was a good play from him in general. Um, so Wilson doesn't really make up for the number of plays where he let the Packers have a chance at the football uh, in this game, and yeah, I, I don't think this was a good performance from Zach Wilson at all. Um, moving on to this week, though, uh, this week it'll it'll probably be a, a much more difficult time uh, if he makes those same mistakes because the Broncos' defense has been absolutely stellar this season, and a, a mistake-prone quarterback uh, like Wilson has shown to be so far this season is exactly what they need. Um, I, I think it's highly likely that uh, Wilson is confused and. Uh, has a difficult time with the Broncos' sticky coverage, with their ability to play zone as well, um, with their ability to get get to the passer with four. And when Zach Wilson's under pressure, there's really there's really no telling what could happen this season. And so I, I'm not expecting uh, anything really good for Zach Wilson this week. Yeah, definitely agree with Zach Wilson on that front, or about Zach Wilson on that front. That team's definitely getting carried by... Brees Hall's emergence in the run game and how good that defense has been. It's been absolutely locked down, but I do think Zach Wilson may be able to do just enough to keep the Jets relevant and not tank them down, but he's definitely got to improve on handling the blitz and just limiting his mistakes because he is holding this team back. But moving on from one disappointing game to another, or slightly disappointing game, I should say, uh, Geno Smith wasn't quite as spectacular as we've seen him in games prior. He had his worst game of the year statistically versus a defense that presumably shouldn't have created this much trouble for him. But looking at the into the game, it wasn't quite as bad as uh, people may have thought it was, maybe looking at the score or his stats. He didn't really make any mistakes in this game except taking a couple of bad sacks. But the problem here was he just uh, not a lot of plays made by Geno Smith to make it an explosive offense that was in weeks prior because, you know, we saw more of the Geno we expected in this game where he was able to make the easy throws and was able to, able to make it well. But when he was tasked with maybe making something out of nothing or creating a play, uh, wasn't quite able to do a whole lot with that. And in weeks prior, we saw Gino pretty much be able to do anything you asked him to do as a quarterback. So it's interesting to see which version of Gino we'll get 
for the rest of the year. But moving on to the next week, uh, he'll be playing the a tough defense in the Chargers, who have been absolutely amazing in rushing the quarterback with Khalil Mack and Bosa. But on the backside, haven't quite had the most impressive secondary, despite putting a lot of money into that secondary. I mentioned with J.C. Jackson earlier. So I do think Geno will have a lot of success with guys like D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, who seem to have mismatches on that front, especially D.K. But he will have a lot of pressure in his face, not a lot of time, and he's going to have to make quick decisions, which is something I think he struggled with a bit in this game. With J.J. Watt coming back, the Cardinals' front was a little bit better. And he was sacked quite a few times, as I mentioned earlier, a couple of bad sacks. And that did kill their drive. So I'm looking to see Gino improve under pressure and under stress and make quick uh, decisions in this one. And hopefully we get more of the old Gino than we did in this game. I don't know what you have. Any thoughts on Gino, Petey? Yeah, um, the MVP candidacy kind of slowed down this week, unfortunately, for Damn, Gino. What a shame. Yeah, real shame there. Uh, I think that Gino's still a really good quarterback. He probably could jump back into the MVP discussion with a great game this week. But yeah, the, the management of pressure wasn't very good from him. Um, again, his worst trait coming into the season was holding on to the ball too long, not having the greatest balance between the aggression and uh, the conservatism. And so yeah. that, that kind of showed up this game. And I, I think it could affect him moving forward. But the Seahawks offense right now is just kind of rolling overall this season and so I wouldn't mm-hmm. expect it to be the biggest thing yeah and in addition to him not playing his best I will give him some credit where the offensive line was especially bad in this game I mentioned the Cardinals front seven I don't know if it was them being good or the Seahawks uh offensive line being bad but Dino was constantly under duress and that obviously makes things a lot tougher and the play calling in Cardinals territory was pretty bad, in my opinion. I feel like they had so many field goals, and a big reason was because they just didn't let Gino what he do what he's been doing in this game. I don't know what the what the reason was, but they kind of moved in a different direction in the red zone, and it was a little weird to see. But despite him playing like this, he still was able to beat out Kyler Murray, who absolutely sold, because... He's trash, but anyways, moving, <laughs> but moving on from Dino's matchup against the Chargers to the Chargers quarterback, Justin Herbert, and looking at his performance last week, I think he was good and very accurate overall, made a lot of big plays, was able to beat out a Broncos defense that's been very stingy all year. And despite uh, Mike Williams getting absolutely strapped up by Pat Sertan, who's been having an incredible year this year, uh, he was able to move around in the pocket and deliver big-time throws and all over the place. But I will say there were two big plays and two big mistakes I think Herbert made, which took his game from overall pretty elite to maybe slightly above average or good uh, he did have an interception in the fourth quarter where I don't really know what he was thinking. It was clearly an extremely tight window right in front of him where there was a defender right there, 
and then once he threw it, the ball was tipped and ended up in a pick uh, on a play like that where there's two defenders right there and he seemed to have more time to see the play develop and it looked like he kind of just blindly threw it to his first read. That's a mistake he definitely can't make, especially in a tight game like that where that almost lost them the game. And once again, at the end of regulation, there was a third and one play and it was a play action where the play seemed to work. The play call seemed to work. They had Gerald Everett open on the corner route. It would have gotten them out of bounds and significant yardage and it probably would have ended up letting the Chargers wrap up the game in regulation. But for whatever reason, he looks off that route when it was open, throws it to the fullback under pressure, and they're just not able to get it and are forced to punt. And I'm just not sure what Herbert was doing in those two situations. But other than that, he was able to make a lot of plays in this one. And moving on to next week, I think with the Seahawks, they're definitely nowhere near as good of a defense as the Broncos have been this year. So I think Herbert will definitely be able to have his way more in this one. Uh, the front seven certainly doesn't pose as much of a threat. Uh, this week, the Chargers had a bunch of holding penalties, a lot of pressure on Herbert as well. I don't expect that to be the case as much, and it'll allow the Herbert to, I guess, hopefully go downfield more and produce more big plays that we're used to with Herbert because the Broncos with their too high safety look this year have been really good at limiting teams from making big plays like that. And yeah, I want to, I want to add something with Herbert. Um, you mentioned it at the end there um, with, with the pressure and he was under pressure a lot. So Justin Herbert, this game was massively impressive to me. Uh, I think the interception, yeah, it was a bad play. And he could have found uh, his receiver uh, towards the end there um, on the sideline to Everett. Um, and I think that, that that is an issue with Herbert. We've seen him, like, miss opportunities for aggressive throws and in favor mm-hmm. of a little bit more uh, low-risk throws. But I want to talk about the way that he manipulated the pocket this game because, to me, it was actually absolutely incredible. So uh, looking at Justin Herbert uh, this game specifically, he – he was absolutely incredible at avoiding pressure. Um, the stats don't really uh, look that way for, for Herbert because he did indeed uh, take two sacks. But Herbert, uh, according to Next Gen Stats, faced pressure on 23 of his 59 dropbacks, which is 39%. Um, and wow. that's the third, third highest pressure rate of his career. And I think what was most particularly impressive is that the Broncos were getting pressure quite quickly. And so Herbert's ability to only end up with two sacks on the day with that kind of volume of pressure. Um, it's a perfect illustration of what I think is his best trait, which is error avoidance. Um, he doesn't make very many mistakes at all in general, and especially the sacks. The sacks, he might be the best at avoiding sacks in the NFL right now. Yeah, and he makes it look so effortless too, because when we talk about avoiding sacks, when it's guys like Mahomes, Lamar, uh, Allen, etc., you see them break tackles, or run away from defenders and kind of just make flashy plays to get out of the pocket. But with Herbert, he kind of just shuffles around and always seems to be in the right place. He has incredible pocket awareness, and I always feel like he's not under pressure until, I mean, he eventually gets sacked. But with the offensive line that didn't perform at his best and 
obviously gave up pressure nearly 40% of plays. You don't feel that looking at the film. He just always gets to the right spot, is in the right point in the pocket where he's able to still make his throw with good with a good delivery and not a forced half half power throw. I don't know how he does it, but he's been incredible at that and it was just those two mistakes for me, but I do agree that was very impressive from him. And I moving it, on from one one, one last one last thing okay. with uh, with Herbert. So I think it's very interesting uh, the contrast for Herbert uh, with him being able to use uh, another one of his best traits, which is his strength. Uh, his functional strength is absolutely incredible, and, and it makes sense for a guy who's like six six with his build. Um, it's yep. it's impressive that he's able to use that that frame to avoid negative plays. But I think the next step is for him to start using that frame to avoid defenders uh, and then eat hits and make positive plays, which I, I think he's great at avoiding hits, but sometimes the hit can't be avoided and you just have to make the explosive play. So that's the one last thing that I wanted to add. Yeah, you're right. I feel like sometimes he just doesn't realize how physically gifted he is and how he can use those to just absolutely make incredible plays like a lot of these other quarterbacks. And he plays a little bit more conservative. Maybe it has to do with the offense he ran in college where that wasn't really a part of their offense. It was a lot of short, quick throws and get your receivers in space for yak yardage. But yeah, I agree. That's something Herbert's definitely got to work on. And looking at a quarterback who's mastered at that aspect of the game, uh, Patrick Mahomes, who looking back at last week, I would say he had a good game overall if it wasn't for two massive, massive mistakes he made in very important situations. The first one being on a first and goal earlier in the game. He rolls out right, or sorry, it wasn't a first and goal. It was a third and goal early in the game. He rolls out right, and he doesn't seem to have much. He does kind of throw it up for a 50-50 ball between Elam and Mikkel Hardman, and Elam ends up coming down with the ball. But I do think he could have maybe made something better happen earlier in the play or maybe not thrown a pick because that could have resulted in three points. I do understand the argument of he was trying to make something out of nothing and it was a third down, but you do want to take the points in that situation and it did come back to bite them later in that game. Definitely not an interception he needed to throw and a big mistake in my opinion. And then obviously the interception everyone saw and uh, definitely put Mahomes down in this category was the one that ended the game that ended up sealing it for them. Uh, and it was a terrible pick too. Uh, he doesn't really have Sky Moore open on the play. He makes a weird angle throw to him, which didn't quite have too much velocity on it, and it was a weird angle. And it was an incredible play by the defender, but either ways, I think it was getting picked off and just very ill-advised, and especially at those points in the game, those two plays did single-handedly, well, not single-handedly, but were a big role in why they ended up losing that game, and with Mahomes at this point, he set a standard where plays like that do sink your opinion of his game in general, because this is definitely not an average Mahomes game, and you just can't be doing that. And looking into this week, you're facing another pretty elite defense, on paper at least, with a stingy Niners defense. Uh, looking in the Niners defense, I am interested to see uh, what Niners defense we get because we don't know who's going to be in 
and was going to be out last week against the Falcons. They made that offense look absolutely incredible, and the Falcons' offense has been good this season, but not to the extent that the Niners made them look. And it seems to be the case that Nick Bosa being out has a huge factor on the Niners' defense success. And looking into this week against the Chiefs, we don't know if guys like Bosa, Traverius Ward, Emmanuel Mosley, Eric Armstead will even play. So if Mahomes is facing that defense, which is very depleted, I don't expect him to have a lot of trouble. I expect a long day as a Niners fan because I don't see anyone who can hold Mahomes in the pocket per se with Bosa out and hold his playmaking ability and with our two starting quarterbacks out, I expect him to be able to find his receivers pretty easily. But if you do get a full strength uh, Niners defense, I'm very interested to see how Mahomes plays because we've gotten a very mixed bag this year in terms of Mahomes against blitz and against stingy coverage, which the Niners would have if they were to be 100% healthy. Uh, I'm interested to see if he can handle the pressure better this week against the Niners than he did versus the Bills last week. The Bills' front seven does pose a threat to everybody, but they definitely bothered Mahomes a little bit, and we saw that with the mistakes for sure. And, yeah, just interested to see how Mahomes battles another elite defense. All right, that'll wrap up all of our previews for Week 7. Any last thoughts? Anything you want to say before we head out? Uh, no, not really. Uh, well, one, I guess, minor point is uh, it's getting tough out here to find quarterbacks to even talk about. This seems to be a down year in quarterback play. Not a whole lot of people playing at an elite level. Uh, this podcast seemed to be very negative because there's a lot of blame and uh, bad play to go around. So hopefully better, better quarterback play to come in the future. Yeah, uh, I think we will talk about that in the off season uh, when we get to it, uh, when we review the whole season and start talking about some historical stuff. Um, uh-huh. This season will will look a little bit uh, shabby in comparison to the rest of the stuff. But uh, thank you everyone yeah, else for listening. Yep, yep. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, on whatever platform you're on, like, subscribe, do what you need to do. Uh, that's all for me from this one. See you. Yep. Peace out. Thank you.